You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Y'all a little rowdy this morning. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Hey, for those of you going to Africa, just a quick little uh, trip advice. Uh, this is the first time in five years Heather and I aren't going on this trip, and we're heartbroken because we got two girls there that we sponsor that we love getting to go see, and they call her Mama Heather, and they call me Papa Papa Matt, and uh, man, that you have not experienced a hug until, until like one of your sponsored kids hugs you. And let me just let me give you some some safety advice though. If you go to eat dinner, and it, there's a sauce that looks like chimichurri, it's not chimichurri. It's called cassava sauce, and only eat it if you want to lose about 18 pounds that day, okay? So maybe that's your thing. Maybe it's the new diet program. I don't know, but you eat that. We'll see you tomorrow, and we'll see a lot less of you. Uh, but, uh, but be praying for our, for our Africa team, and uh, this is a great trip. I look forward to it. Our team looks forward to it, and I can tell you the kids over there look forward to it because they're like, you know, you, I, they know you love them, but when you show up, and, and visit with them, then they, they experience that. And so be watching our Facebook page over the next uh, couple of weeks because we're going to give trip updates. And uh, we're also going to give an opportunity for you to sponsor uh, some children. So they're going to be advocating for some kids in a little town called Rabavu. It's up by the, by the Congo border and a uh, beautiful lake, but it's they're going to be advocating for these kids, and if you don't sponsor a child, you can, you can sign up and do that. But let me do this. If you, if you sponsor a child now or if you're going to, um, go visit them. Come with us. I would love to run multiple trips so you can go see your kids, and man, it, just, it is life-changing, and so be watching, watching for that. Um, also get to make an exciting announcement this morning because God's always doing some stuff around the creek. He's always working and, and, and growing us, and it's been crazy. The last 10 years, we'll be 10 years old next month, y'all, and it is nuts. And um, thank you. Yeah, we made it, you know. Uh, but it's been so crazy over the last 10 years that, that there's a lot of things we haven't done. And uh, we're now getting to go back and do that, like uh, job descriptions and employee policies and, and all the things that do not excite me, but uh, there is somebody that it does excite. And so uh, three years ago, I met, I met this, this man, uh, Judd Vire, and uh, Judd, con- I connected with him when we were hiring Alec, and Alec was just up here doing the greeting, and, and he, helped, he helped me decide if I want to hire you, Alec, where you at? Um, but... Um, uh, but he spoke very highly of them. We got connected, and, and over the last several years, we've, we've stayed connected because he works for a church consulting company called Five Stone. And uh, then uh, as I got to know him, I was like, I need your help. And so he came on with us last year as a consultant, was helping us get the job descriptions and, and all, the, all the stuff that just I, honestly doesn't excite me. You know, I'd just rather just preach and let's, let's do ministry and, and what, paperwork? Nah. Uh, but but he, he came on and helped us get a lot of this organized. And so what we've been able to do is uh, last week we offered him a job here and he took it. And so I want to welcome you. Uh, I want to welcome our newest staff member, Judd Vire. Would you come up? He's our new executive pastor. And uh, man, what a relief it is. You're here. So awesome. I love you, man. And uh, so... <laughs> So somebody asked me, so what, what does an executive pastor do? So if you're military, military, think XO, you know, my executive officer. Uh, but what Judd does is he's going to act as my right hand, and, and, and he's going to take the vision God gives me 
and help put the structure and process to it. That's his expertise. He has incredible wisdom in that. Judd's got over 20 years of ministry, most of that in an executive capacity. Um, he is an Aggie, y'all. Whoop! And... Um, so uh, those watching online, you know, we have people in other countries that watch us online. They're like, what just happened? Um, but uh, uh, he also graduated from DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, in Christian education with a focus on leadership. And so uh, he, he's, he's got wisdom. He's got a lot of knowledge and education and experience. And he also does some things that I think are vitally important for the kingdom. He does a lot of kingdom work where he, he consulted with us. Part of his responsibility is to continue that consulting of other churches because that's something the kingdom needs and we need more healthy churches. Uh, he runs a ministry to India called Far Corners Missions and so you'll hear a lot more about that uh, in the coming months about, about what we can do to engage there and, and how we can just, man, just get the gospel to more places. And um, he's planted churches and just, you, you've, you've done so much and, and I'm, I'm grateful to have you. I'm appreciative and so welcome. Welcome, welcome. Yeah. Go it's ahead. good to be here. One of the first things that we did is a dress code. Yep. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, hey, I hear the women are doing a fashion show. We could probably show up for that. Right. Like, hey, what you right. think? <laughs> but I'm not an Ambi Turner. <laughs> so over the last year, I've had the opportunity to work with the staff here and, and hear about the church. And let me just tell you, there is amazing health in this church with the staff, with the vision, with what God is doing here for the kingdom. And uh, you guys are a reflection of that for sure. Um, I heard this is the most lively service there is. Is that true? It is. They're crazy. All right, all right. I They're like crazy. That. Are they? Yeah. Okay. Well, I look forward to um, just helping, like, like I said, coming alongside and helping just build the kingdom um, through you guys mm. and with you guys and just seeing what God does in the future, you know, a 10-year-old church to be where it is and ready to plant another church is, um, is just amazing. That's, that's a, a God work in and of itself to be where you guys are at. So I look forward to being here, partnering with you, partnering with you guys and getting yeah. to know you. Yeah, thank you, man. All Love right. you, brother. Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard officially. Get to know him, man. He is, he is, his heart is, ah, I love him. And uh, one of the things he's going to help do is, is really get this church plant. Because remember, in January, we launched Vision of we want to plant a church next year. And so he's going to help bring a lot of structure to that because that is where I struggle. And just as the church has grown, uh, it, it kind of pulls me in so many different directions. And this, God's provided an opportunity for me to kind of focus on what I'm supposed to focus on as your pastor, as your leader, and bring in that help and support. So I, I'm grateful for that. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, if you got your Bible, go to Galatians chapter 2. We've been in this series as we were working through this letter that Paul wrote to the churches in the region of Galatia. And uh, this is a transitional piece today. Because we, we, we've gone through a lot of setup where, where Paul just let him out of the gate, just lays it out, says there's no other gospel. If the gospel plus anything is not the gospel. And, and so a lot of times we get, we get in this, this mindset about, about what we have to do with faith and, and we create this list of externals and try to earn God's favor. And, and I gave you the spectrum that, that this, the gospel is, is, the, is the power of God and the salvation to those who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. 
You and I are Gentiles. We weren't born Jews, and so we're outside of that nation, but we are Gentiles. We benefit from this gospel. And as this started to take root, it started to create issues because people were like, well, no, no, you got to believe in Jesus and do this. And in the case of the Galatian church, you got to believe in Jesus and be circumcised. And and we do that in church today. Like, well, you you got to believe in Jesus and serve. You got to believe in Jesus and give. You got to believe. And so we create all these additions, and that's just not the gospel. Those of you who grew up in church, it's called legalism. You know, if you do this or don't do this, that's how God's favor is on you, and that's just not, not, not the truth. The other side of that spectrum is, is license, right, where we go, well, I've got God's grace. He paid for my sin. He paid for my life so I can live, live however I want. That's not the gospel. Either side is not the gospel, so we've got to understand this. And the gospel is this. It's good news. It literally means good news, and it's good news about what Jesus did He died on the cross for you and I, and he was resurrected on the third day. It's good news about what he does for us. He transforms us. He makes us the righteousness of God. He wipes the slate of our sin away and gives us an an eternity, an eternal hope. And so he does what he did, and what he does are vital. And so this message really is life-changing, and what happens is after the, after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus had some disciples that walked with him and he poured into them for three years so that they could do what he did and take that message on. One of those disciples we're going to encounter today is Peter. Now, for those of you who are new to scripture, Peter is a disciple. We follow Jesus. I love him because he's just a hothead. There's no filter. Goes through here. It's coming out, man. It's just like there's nothing in between that says, should I say this? No, no, no. He, he would say it and go, probably shouldn't have said that. And, um, but I like him where you see him in scripture, he steps out of the boat, he's walking on water, he's focused on Jesus, then he gets scared, he starts sinking, and Jesus is like, why you got so little faith, man, come on, come on, come on. Peter's the guy that stood up for Jesus and uh, said, I'm with you, I'm with you. Even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I'm never leaving you, I won't deny you, it's ride or die, Jesus, and man, boom, Jesus is arrested, he denies him three times. Jesus restores Peter. If you remember the series we did in the fall that I made you so angry about, where we were cooking on the platform, um, we did the, the biscuits and bacon and eggs and gravy that we were cooking. Well, the, some of y'all remember the food we were cooking, but the content of that message was the restoration of Peter after his denial, where Jesus restored him to ministry. So Peter's locked in in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit comes down, empowers the disciples. They go out. They speak the gospel, what Jesus did. He died on the cross for you. What he does is he can make you the righteousness of God, and he can bring forgiveness to your life. People are cut to the heart in that message. 3,000 people get saved. The gospel becomes viral. Well, then what happens about Acts chapter 10 is Peter's, Peter's on the roof. He's hungry, man. He's, got the, he's, he's, he's hangry. He's up on the roof. He goes into this trance. He sees this vision from God. Sheep come down, all these animals, and God says, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, I'm not going to say it's clean if you said it's unclean. And God said, that's not your place to determine what's clean or unclean, but do what I've called you to do. About that time, knock on the door. Guy from guy named Cornelius sends some guys to find Peter. And he says, look, an angel showed up. Tell me about this Jesus. So Peter shares the gospel with this guy named Cornelius. Now, here's the cool thing. He was not a Jew. Peter's a Jew. Cornelius is not a Jew. The gospel just made that transition because it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. Acts chapter 10, boom, it's out, baby. And so then you fast forward, and that kind of starts causing some issues because you got people going, well, 
well, yeah, you can believe in Jesus, but you got to be circumcised. You, you got to follow our rules. And so Peter's like, no. In Acts 15, there's this council. We went through it last week where he stands up and he says, you guys know that I spoke the gospel to the Gentiles, that I, God used me to preach to them. They believed. They were saved. They received the same Holy Spirit you and I received. God made no distinction between them. We are one. So why would you want to put a yoke of slavery on them that we can't carry ourselves? Why are you putting this list of rules and the law on them and we can't even keep it? And so they consider the issue settled. But Peter comes to visit them in Antioch. Look at verse 11. This is what's going on. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I, that's Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, Paul opposing someone to their face, that's, that's pretty strong of Paul because as you get to know him in scripture, you'll find that he would say, I can be very bold when I write this letter to you, but when I stand before you face to face, I'm more timid. It's kind of like some of y'all that can fire off that text, man. I mean, you can, you can just, you can burn the hair off of somebody's head with your text. But then when they go, hey, I'm going to talk to you about that. Like, oh, I think you're reading tone into it. I don't, I don't think you, you know. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean that. I was just angry. That's Paul. <laughs> but for him to say I opposed him to his face, man, it's something that got him stirred up. And he, he, he gives us an insight. He says, before, before certain men came from James. James was from the church in Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem had people called the circumcision party. They were the ones that said, you can believe in Jesus, but also to be saved, you have to be circumcised. So they show up. But when, when, when they showed up, James was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. See, that's a tragedy because Peter just, we just studied it. Paul, right before this, in, in verse 1 through 10, Paul's saying, we went to Jerusalem, I took Barnabas with me, and Peter stood up. Same Peter stood up and said, why are we causing this division? God didn't make a distinction. Why are we doing this? Why are we putting these rules on him? So then fast forward, Peter comes to Antioch, he's hanging out with the Gentiles, they're eating, I mean, I don't know what they're eating, but the, he's having fellowship with them, which, which to a Jew, that would mean they're unclean. And so there's ceremonial things with that and all these things, and so there's division. And but then Peter's like, no, no, the gospel has brought us together, there's no distinction. But when these other dudes from Jerusalem show up. He's like, whoo, I can't hang out with y'all. And Paul's like, that's stupid. It's ridiculous. That's a tragedy. You just rebuilt the wall. You just spoke so hard to tear down. Then he goes on. Here's a second tragedy. And, and, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with Peter so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now Paul's really angry because Barnabas was a guy that Paul was pouring into. He was mentoring. He's like, I took Barnabas with me to Jerusalem. Peter, he heard you stand up and say, why are we making this distinction? God didn't make a distinction between Jew and Gentile. He saved us by faith. It's the grace of God that comes in and does this work. Why are we doing this? This is division and it's wrong. And Paul's like, you just spoke that. He heard you speak that. Now you're leading him astray because you're acting like a hypocrite. Isn't it amazing how many people, even today, look at the church and go, just full of hypocrites. You know what? Can I, can I ask you, are we doing the same thing Peter's doing? Are we creating division of, of, 
of people and saying, well, no, no, before you can come to church, you got to do this. Come on. Let me, here's something I've learned about behavior. Christianity is not behavior management. You can't try hard enough to be saved. You have to trust. And here's what I've seen about those of us who are saved, who are the redeemed. We're not perfect. Peter's not perfect. He walked on water. He got afraid. He started to sink. Peter said, Jesus, I'm, I'm standing with you. He gets afraid and he denies him. Peter stands up boldly and preaches we're one in the body of Christ because of faith and yet in fear of other men. It's Galatians 1.10, right? Who am I serving? Am I serving man or am I serving God? If I'm here to please man, then I can't be a servant of Christ. And Peter gets afraid and he pulls back from fellowship. So here's what I know about the redeemed. We're not perfect. We do mess up, but we need that grace. But the problem that I see with the church is the people who are redeemed expect people who are not redeemed to act like they're redeemed. Let me tell you what I've learned about people who don't know Jesus. I mean, the Bible says they're lost. Lost people are going to act like lost people. Why do we expect them to act like a saved person when they don't even know what salvation is? When we do that, we've just created a hypocritical structure inside the church of this is the life that I can live up to and you better live up to it too or you're not going to be able to fellowship with us. Let me tell you something. If that happens around here, I'm gone. I can't deal in an environment like that. I like the messiness of the body of Christ. I like the messiness of church. And see, what Paul does is he goes into these next few verses. He calls out Peter for this. I mean, it's stupid behavior. He calls them out and he establishes these doctrines. What are doctrines? They're foundational cornerstones of the church. They're core beliefs that the church holds. And the first one he calls them out on is the unity of the body, the unity of the church. He's like, Peter, you just stood up to preach this unity. And now you're creating division. Why? What you just proclaimed, you're now going back on. You sat and we had fellowship together and you weren't afraid, but when these other people showed up, what you think are holy or something or they're some kind of leader, you pull back, well, I can't, I can't associate with those kind of people anymore. The problem is not the other people. The problem is you, Peter. I mean, listen, listen to what he says. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... That's been called out, baby. I saw, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? He's like, do you see how stupid you're acting, Peter? Like you're born Jewish, you're Jewish, you're Jewish. No, oh no, by the grace of God, I've been saved. It's by faith and, and I'm gonna hang out with the Gentiles and I can eat what you can eat now. And so it's, you know, I, I, I've run into people who've had the guilt of the dietary restrictions of their religion. And they're, they're eating the pork anyway. They're just feeling guilty about it. Well, Peter's like, hey, I can eat pork now and not feel guilty. It's guilt-free pork. So I'm hanging out with the Gentiles. I'm eating with the Gentiles. And then, oh, I can't do that anymore. He's like, why do you expect the Gentiles to act like you now? He's like, you're creating this division and it's ridiculous. Stop it. Stop it. I mean, he goes on, verse, 
Verse 15, he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. What he's teaching is this, found, this beautiful truth about justification, that it's by faith and faith alone. And this word justified that Paul uses over, I go back to my youth ministry days. My youth pastor used to teach it to it like this, when he would read the, the justified. What does that mean? What does it mean to be justified? It means God looks at me just as if I'd never sinned. And it's not works that do it. It's not the law that does it. It's, it's the faith in Jesus It's the gospel. He loves us. He died for us. He was resurrected. It's faith in the crucified, resurrected Jesus that brings justification to my life. And justification, listen to this, listen to this statement. It's a beautiful statement. It says, justification is the act of God where he declares the believing sinner righteous in Jesus Christ. Every word in that statement holds incredible power. Justification is an act of God. It's not your act. If it was, an, if it was your act, it would be a, a works thing, that you could earn it. You could somehow get to it. It's an act of God. It's the miraculous power of transformation. The same way the Holy Spirit called Jesus from the tomb on the third day is the same miraculous act of God that brings life to a believing sinner. And in that instant, 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 God declares you righteous. It's not a process, justification. Our maturity, yes, that's a process. But the justification is instant. God has declared the believing sinner righteous. That's an incredible thing because he, he, what that means, he clears the record. I mean, if I, if I commit a crime and I go to prison, I can pay for my crime. I can, I can do the time, but that record follows me the rest of my life. But what, what justification by faith does, it removes the record. It's a powerful thing. And Paul's saying, look, Peter, your justification doesn't come by your list of externals. It doesn't come by the law doesn't come by your works. It comes by faith and faith alone. And he calls him back to that central truth. Because this law, what happens is Jesus gives us freedom from the law. Grace gives us freedom from the law. The law always says, do this, do this, do this. Grace says, it's done. Listen to what he says. Paul, this is where he calls Peter out on this. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What he said, let me, let me break that down for you. What he's saying is, Peter... You just preached it was justification by faith. You said it's faith and faith alone that saves us and doesn't make a distinction in Jew or Gentile. And that justification is by faith. Now, what you're saying is if you're going to, your behavior is going back into the works thing. And so if you're going back into works, and here's what you're saying, that Jesus made you sin because Jesus can't save you. You have to go back to the law to save you. That's a smack. 
That's if we're watching that face to face from that. He just went there. He went there in front of everybody. Should I feel uncomfortable? Should I watch? What do I do? You know? Do I start taping this? I mean, is this going to go down like somebody going to come out, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry? I don't know what's going to happen here. He's like, if you think Jesus saved you, but now you're going back to your behavior in the law, you're, you're saying Jesus made you a sinner. That's wrong. So this law that, that you're like, no, 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 this was our self-righteous, but we tear this down, and if you're rebuilding it, you're saying that I was sinning when I tore it down in the first place, and Jesus, Jesus gave us freedom from it. Look, Jesus did not abolish the law. He fulfilled it. And the law is always going to take us to a place where we know and it shows us that we need a savior and grace is gonna get us over that bar. See, see, grace didn't lower the bar of the law. It raised it actually. Because Jesus would say, you've heard it said, don't murder. That's the law. But I tell you, if you have hatred towards your brother, you've committed murder. He just raised the standard. He didn't lower the standard of law, but what he did is like, yeah, but it's my grace that gets you over that standard and lets you operate in loving your neighbor as yourself. It's the grace at work. And it's a freedom from all the externals that we try to manage our behavior with, that we try to try harder with. And he's like, stop trying to build all this back. And then he goes on, verse 19, for, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the beauty of the gospel right there. He loved you. He gave himself for you. And he says to Peter, this life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith. Look, he, I, I'm, I'm gonna mess up just like you. You're messing up right now, Peter. I'm calling you out because I love you and you're messing up and you're leading people astray with this, this, this non-gospel that you've now brought in. Stop doing that. You've got flesh, I got flesh, but this life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in Christ because I have been crucified with him. I identify with his crucifixion. Then he goes on to say, I don't nullify the grace of God, for if my righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. What he's saying is, it's the gospel that stands alone. Stop adding to it. Don't water it down. Don't dilute it. Don't pollute it. Whatever you want to remember, it just stop messing with the gospel. Man, Heather and I made a salsa recipe, and it's perfect. I'm not changing a thing. You can, every one of you can line up after this and say, well, you should add this. You should. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. It's perfect. You know how I know it's perfect? Every time she takes a bite, she's like, mm, that's perfect. I don't need your input. All I need is more chips. The gospel stands alone. When we experience the grace of God, it's, mm, that's perfect. Stop messing with it. He loved you and he gave himself for you. And then Paul says, I don't nullify the grace because the central message is the grace of God. 
A core foundation of the church is the grace of God. It's the grace of God that brings change in our life. It's the grace of God that declares us righteous. It's the grace of God that led Jesus to the cross. It's the grace of God that was the reason he poured out his blood so that you and I could be declared righteous when we believe in him through faith. Grace is amazing. It is transformational. We so desperately need more grace. I get people criticizing me. You preach too much grace. (laughs) What do you want me to preach? I got nothing else. Well, you should preach against all the sins that are out there. Yeah? Well, what's what's the remedy for our sin? Grace. Man, I I don't want to go to the doctor and him just say, well, you're sick. Thank you. Do I pay my copay now? <laughs> I want to go to the doctor. He's like, you're sick, but I got the cure. Yeah, sin is an issue, but the cure is the grace of God. And if the church would start speaking and standing and preaching on the grace of God, you know what a beautiful thing happens? The power of the Holy Spirit comes in to work on our sin. I don't need you to come and tell me how bad of a sinner I am. I don't need you to call out all my sins. I know what they are. What I need you to do is walk with me in grace so that I don't keep staying on that cycle of stupidity of committing the same sin over and over and over and over. It's the grace of God. That's all we got. I mean, Paul says, I don't nullify this grace because here's the thing. This is what Romans teaches us. If we start out with grace and then we go to works, grace is no longer grace. You've just nullified grace. Well, it's, it's, it's my religious behaviors that save me. It, it, it's what I do for Jesus that he loves me. No, no. If you need a verse about that, go, go look at, go read the entire crucifixion account of Jesus on the cross. I'm not giving you a verse. I'm going to give you, you read the whole account. There's a thief that is rightfully condemned to die beside of Jesus. And he calls out, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I don't remember reading Jesus going, hey, did you give? I mean, I, I got, I'm going to have to check tithing records. Just check, you know, did you do anything for me? Did you serve? Were you a greeter? I don't even think you went to church. Did I see you at church? I know you didn't get baptized. How ridiculous is that? I mean, Jesus, help me help you, man. You didn't do anything for me. You want me to do something for you? No, what did Jesus say? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. See, these religious activities that we think bring salvation, they're good external things for us to practice, but we don't practice them for salvation. We practice them from salvation. I give because I've been given to. I serve because I've been served. I attend because I need you. I don't need you for my salvation. I need you for my maturity. I need you for my growth. My salvation is secured and secured by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, him crucified and resurrected. That's what he did and what he does is make me righteous by declaration. I wish we could see Peter's response in this because, man, this is a smack down that Paul gave him. 
And we don't get a response. The next verse doesn't say, and Peter repented and all was well. But here's an insight we get, because Peter wrote some letters too in the New Testament. And this is what he said in 2 Peter chapter 3. He said, and count the patience of our Lord, uh, of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul. Now, he didn't say that fool that called me out. He, he said, our beloved brother Paul, who also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he, has done, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks of them. He recognizes, man, there was wisdom that God gave him. It kept him from going down this track of hypocrisy and taking a whole bunch of people with him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, get, when I see somebody get called out, <laughs> it kind of makes me do a little bit of self-review because I don't want to be called out for the same thing. That'd be called, especially publicly, Ooh. Imagine that you walk into work tomorrow, they call you out publicly for that email you sent on Friday. Well, can we just talk about this in the office? But I, I, wanna, I want you to reflect on this because the beautiful thing about Scripture is this. It reads us too. And it's important for us to work through these questions personally so that we can receive the fullness of God's revelation through the rest of this letter. Because these are doctrines that he's going to continue to come back to. So the first question I've got for you to wrestle through this week is, have I trusted my life into the grace of God? Not trusted yourself or I'm a good person. Not, you, not trusting your goodness. Your goodness will not get you there. Not trusting your morality. Not, listen to this, not even trusting your religion. But the grace of God is found in one thing, one and one alone, and it's Christ alone. Have I trusted Christ to receive that grace and that mercy? Not myself, not my list, not I have to do this, but have I trusted my life into that grace? Am I trying to add anything to grace? Well, that's just too easy of a message, right? Grace, it's free, what? There must be something I have to do now. Stop adding to it. Listen, I'm amazed at how many people that I encounter, it's grace plus something. Well, yes, Jesus saves me, but I, but I have to do this so I, I stay in favor with him. I was talking with someone this week, and, and she said, I just feel so guilty. I haven't been to church in a long time. I haven't given, and she's not in our church community, but, but I was like, man, guilt is a terrible motivator. Go back to the grace of God. Listen, listen. When Jesus was baptized, the voice of the Father spoke over Jesus, and it was recorded for all who heard he said, this is my son, relationship, right? Relationship is only happening through grace, in whom I am well pleased. God's pleasure in his son was before he did any miracle, never walked on water, hadn't been crucified yet, hadn't been resurrected yet. His pleasure was in him at that point. Listen to me, listen to me, pay attention to me. If you've trusted your life into the grace of God, you have relationship and his pleasure in you is not based on your performance. It's based on your position and it's your position as a son or a daughter. Stop trying to add anything to the grace of God. It just doesn't 
work. Third one, am I experiencing the peace of being justified by faith in Jesus? As I said, grace is a, a, a guilt is a terrible motivator. But, but listen to this. You, by faith in Jesus, have been justified. Grace has covered your life, and you have peace with God. Can you rest in that peace? Are you experiencing and sensing that peace? Because that's a peace that goes beyond all understanding. Because that peace, that peace overwhelms the guilt. Well, I've got to do this. I've got to serve. I, I mean, just stop letting all of that create guilt and turmoil and unrest in your life. And look, if you've placed your life in the grace of God, then here's the thing. You have peace with God. By the blood of Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near so that you experience the peace of God. Let the peace of God reign and rule in your heart. Your righteousness comes from Jesus. All of your sin, listen to me, past, present, future, have been prejudged at the cross. I have been crucified with Christ. That's the truth. Are you willing to defend that truth? I don't mean run around like some religious jerk or freak and, you know, just try looking for things to call out, but are you willing to pick up the mess? Look, our youngest daughter and son-in-law got this got a puppy last year. And I love it when the puppy comes over to our house, but every time she does, she poops in my house. Every time. And Abby says, I don't, she doesn't do that at home. I don't care what she does at home. She pooped in my house. And last weekend, they were out of town, we're dog sitting, and I walk into my bedroom, and there's a nice prize right in the middle of the floor. And I was tired. I was in a hurry getting ready to come to church. And I was, oh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to leave that and let Heather deal with that. <laughs> and the thought went through my mind. Do I want to deal with the poop or the wrath of Heather? <laughs> I'll take the poop. So I'm cleaning up the poop and I'm reminded of what I teach my staff. If you see a mess, you clean it up, right? You walk in on the mess, you clean it up. And... There's a lot of theological, spiritual poop out there. When you encounter it, clean that poop up. Speak the truth. People you work with think that grace in Jesus it comes from Jesus, but I got to do this. Clean it up. Share the truth in love, in the context of relationship. Don't be a jerk about it. Share it. People's lives are dependent on it. And let me ask you this final question. Is, is my life reflecting the gospel? Is my life a reflection of what Jesus did, that his love for me was so great that he gave his life for me on the cross and he was resurrected and he brings me righteousness and sets me before God, redeemed, reconciled, whole, and righteous? Is my life reflecting that? Is my life reflecting God's love that led to that sacrifice? Is my life reflecting the grace of God that allows other people to see how good he is? This is a question. And listen, it's not perfection, y'all. The reflection is not perfection. The reflection is progress. Don't compare yourself to anybody else but where you were 
this time a week ago or a month ago or a year ago. But do this work. Do the work of the, the, the soul searching because it's gonna open up so much revelation in the rest of this letter. God, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your truth. And we invite you, God, to search our hearts. Some of us, as we look at our heart, we don't like what we see. And so I'm asking you for grace. That amazing grace, that beautiful grace, that powerful grace. God, I just pray that right now people receive that. That you just break them free from the law. That they've tried to earn your favor and earn righteousness and earn salvation. I just pray you break them free, free with the grace that so overwhelms. God, for those of us that have been set free by grace, help us to live like it. Let our actions speak louder than our words so that we'll live a life reflecting your grace, your goodness, and most of all, your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at